Uh, if you've been with us uh, any length of time, you know that we've been in the, the book of 1 John. Great news. Today we're finishing it. No? No one's like, yes, finally. It's been so long. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're, we're finishing it today. Um, and uh, w- while we're doing it, John's going to give us a little recap of, of where we've been. And then he's going to say something a little surprising. As we're uh, engaging this text and trying to um, work through it, I would like us to be thinking about um, our answer to the question, what is the good life and where do we find it? What is the good life and where do we find it? Uh, this is a, a, it's a question that has been, it's tortured philosophers and theologians and normal folks uh, throughout the centuries. In fact, every single one of us probably has like an intuitive answer to that question, what is the good life? In fact, for a lot of us, if we've grown up in American culture, it's probably something along the lines of the white picket fence and the 2.5 children. Actually, I'd like to revise that down to zero children. Um, But some children, no. Yeah, no, they're beautiful. They're a blessing from the Lord. Yeah, and grandkids are really great too. All right. Um, Hopefully I'll find out about that. Uh, Yes. So, you know, something like that, the picket fence and, 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 and the family and meaningful work, something like that. And if you have that, good health probably is included. That is the good life. Now, when we talk about the good life, one, one thing we have to have remember is it can't just be an abstract idea. It has to be something that actually is realized in communities with real people. Okay, so if someone tells you that um, the good life is when all of the workers are singing in union at the workers' paradise, you can be like, no, that's crazy. Because we've seen what happens when communism's tried, and it's a disaster. And if you think that communism is a good idea, you should talk to me after the service. I don't want to get into the ideology right now. But man, a lot of people have died because trying to, trying to live up to this ideal, this idea of what the good life is. And so whatever we're going to say the, the good life is, it has to be something that can actually exist in the real world with real people like us. And so let that sit um, in the back of your mind as we encounter this text. Uh, this is 1 John five eighteen to 21. We know that the God-born do not sin, since the God-born protect themselves and the evil one does not touch them. We know that we have our source in God while the whole universe, the whole cosmos, is under the power of the evil one. Yet we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding such that we have come to know the truth. And we are in the truth, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is true God and life eternal. Little children, keep yourselves away from idols. This is a pretty powerful text. I mean, it confesses something that's totally nuts. That there was a person here who was true God. It says a lot of things. Uh, one of the first things that we notice when we, when we get it is that we know, we know, we know. This is kind of John sort of giving us a recap of the entire book. In fact, uh, I don't have this in your note sheets, but if you wanted to write down, I'm, I'm going to give you some of these uh, things that John's recapping. If you'd like to, that's, it's a helpful way to kind of get a sense for the whole message of the entire book of First John. This we know, we know, we know. He's reminding his hearers that you know, this would have been sort of like a sermon. It would have been read aloud. And anyone who heard it would have heard all of these themes come up over and over again. And so as he's ending, he brings this up. We know, we know, we know. And the first thing that we know is we know that the God-born do not sin. We know that the God-born do not sin. And this is, um, 
This is going to be one of the, uh, this is going to be the first sort of recap thing. Uh, if you want to hear more about this, uh, you'll notice that I've capitalized the S in sin. If you want to hear more about uh, the sin, uh, I'm, it's talking about a very specific sin. It's talking about the specific sin of rejecting God, rejecting Jesus specifically, saying that Jesus is not the way, not the truth, not the life. Jesus is something else. And anyone who does that is not born of God. And anyone who's ever done that is God born, born of God. A uh, little plug, um, I've talked about Godborn there. I, I think next week, um, I'm going to do a little more about what it means to be born of God. Uh, if, you, if you've been here for a while, you know that I, I wrote a book, and um, pro- really what the book is uh, about is what it means to be born of God. And so next week, we're going to kind of dig into that, and I'll show you how John thinks about this and, and, and what th- some of the implications are for our lives. We haven't done it yet, but I think it's appropriate now. So we'll talk a little bit about the God-born. And a God-born are people who cannot sin. So in Baptist theology, it's something like this. Once saved, always saved. Um, do we have that on the once saved, always saved? John's recap. Yeah! Cool. You can write that down if you'd like. Uh, this is, uh, it's becoming unpopular. People want to say that once you're saved, you've got to work real hard to uh, stay saved. Uh, we don't confess that at this church. If you have questions about it, I did do a sermon on this a few months ago um, called Where Does Your Love Come From? Where Does Your Love Come From? You can listen to it. But no, we, uh, what, God's, what, what John says is once you're God-born, you're not able to commit true rebellion. You're not able to Even if you reject God, even if you think you're rejecting God, there's still a part of you that he lives in you. His eternal life is in you. Even if you don't want to access it, even if you don't want to live with it, it's still there. You can't get rid of it because it's not up to you. You don't have power over it. God's the one who put it there. And so you are God-born, like it or not, one way or the other, you have the eternal life in you. And that's the first um, thing that that John's trying to to recap. Let's go, uh, go back to the text Again, this is the second thing. We know that we have our source in God while the whole universe is under the power of the evil one. That's bad news for America, I've got to be honest with you. Okay, if this is true, right, if this is true, we, we the church, anyone who's believed, uh, has, is sourced in God. Everywhere else is under the power of the evil one, the enemy. This is bad news because in America, we've kind of like, we've got this really great thing going where we're like, hey, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, Jewish or Muslim or atheist or Christian or whatever. As long as we're in a public space, we're all going to get together. We're going to get along. It's going to be really good, right? We're just going to leave religion off to the side and, and we're just going to, it's going to be a neutral space, right? If you're listening to what John just said, he just said there is no neutral space, there is no place that's, on, that's not on anybody's side. In fact, what John has said is if you are in a place that is not specifically a place where people confess Jesus, you are in a place that is under the power of the enemy. And if you've been with us, you know that this has been a, a, a theme. He's, he's talked about antichrists, people who reject uh, Jesus. He's talked about the demonic. He's talked about all kinds of forces that are out there that are attacking and, 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 and trying to take territory away from the church and how the church is almost like this, this little forward you know, observation post of people who have the truth. We're trying to spread it. That's the second thing um, in his recap. It's the church versus the world. It's the church versus the world. The last part of his recap, though, is a reminder. 
Um, if we go back to the text briefly, there it is. Yet we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding such that we have come to know the truth and we are in the truth, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is true God and life eternal. Friends, I know it looks really bad. looks like there's a lot of people out there and it looks like we're going to lose. But good news, we have, no, we have come to know the truth. We're in it. We're in Jesus Christ. We are sharing in his life. He is divine. He is true God. And his life, his eternal life, is in us now. It is existing here. So long as we simply believe and, and remain trusting in him, we have that life. And that life is eternal. It cannot be over, uh, overcome by the world. Even though the world is under the sway of the evil one, the evil one is not going to win. And that's the, uh, the last thing. He's defining the church. The last part of his recap. The church is any place where people know Jesus as Messiah, true God, and the source of eternal life. This is uh, kind of important because of um, the need, I think, for stronger ecumenism. That's a fancy term that means, like, Christians getting along. Um, I, uh, I have a lot of issues with, um, for example, Roman Catholic theology. I have a lot of very deep issues with Eastern Orthodox theology. I have a lot of issues with Pentecostal theology. But I'll tell you this, I've got way more in common with anybody who confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is true God, and that he is eternal life, and in him is the source of eternal life, than I have with everybody else. If you're looking for a definition of what the church is, who the church is, it's right here. It's any place, any group of people who confess Jesus Messiah, Jesus true God, and eternal life in him, and in him alone. That's it. That's kind of the baseline. And if you're listening with John, he's really concerned because he really does think there's a cosmic war going on. He really thinks that every place outside of here is disastrous. It's under enemy control, and and the enemy doesn't like us. And so we really need to be together. And so then he's recapped everything that he said. He said, hey, you know what? If you're God-born, you don't have to worry about committing the ultimate sin. It's us versus the world. The church is every place where we know Jesus as Messiah, true God, the source of eternal life. That's it, friends. Hey, want to sign off here. Um, Hope you guys are doing well. Um, I'm headed off to the Isle of Patmos. I got to have some visions after I've been exiled. Um, But hey, love you guys. Um, Love John, the end. And that's that's how it ends. Text, please. No. Little children, keep yourselves away from idols. The entire book, right? These five chapters, he hasn't mentioned idols once. In fact, he lives in a time um, when people really didn't... I mean, they, they sort of prayed through idols, but they didn't really pray to idols. Idols are almost a, uh, an afterthought in the context of the ancient Near East, the first century. Why would he end the entire letter like this? The entire sermon ends up with, hey, little, ch- little children, keep yourselves away from idols. And moreover, what an, I mean, that's easy, right? Because we know how to stay away from idols. We just don't, any, anything that's like a little statue that represents a god, we just stay away from that. Oh, easy. And I know, I know, we've probably heard a sermon, if we've been in the church for any length of time, that says, oh, American idols are different. In America, the idols are materialism, or power, or status, and those are our gods. And so we need to, we need to avoid those idols. 
And, and, even, and if that's the case, what does all of this have to do with the good life? I mean, you, you know, the good life, really, where is that? I just want to ask you to, to follow me as we take a look, a little deeper look at what idols are and how this right here is the key to the good life. And so first, I, I want to t- check out some ancient idols. Here's a couple of examples. This one's about 2,600 years old, maybe 2,700. On the right there, that's Marduk. He's the, uh, the god of the Babylonians. He's got some tridents in action, and he's chasing down a monster. If you're familiar with the Enuma Elish, it's a uh, co- uh, creation myth that the, the Babylonians had. And it tells the story of how Marduk, the sun god, the king of all gods, subdued chaos and made the world uh, the way that it was supposed to be, right? And so it's this really violent thing where I think he ends up dismembering, I think the Enkidu, I can't remember the name of that that god, that primary uh, chaos monster, but he tears them apart and he sets everything in place. And then once he's done, he's like, oh, what am I going to do with these humans? I know, I'll make them my slaves. They can, uh, they can worship me and I'll enslave them. And anytime they do anything bad, I'll torture them. And then, so he has a special set of human beings, the Babylonians. And the Babylonians, they get to a point where they're like, oh, we're, our God's the best. And so we know what he did to humanity. He enslaved us. And so we should enslave everybody else. And they should serve us. And we should be able to exploit them and subjugate them. And that's what the Babylonian Empire did. Marduk showed what, what life is supposed to be like. It's, it's violence and subjugation and oppression. And then the people who worshipped him through this idol, they took that as an example, as, as a pattern for how they ought to live. And so they went and they lived through violence and subjugation and oppression. In fact, they would say, the good life is being a Babylonian, being at the top of the heap. Owning the will to power, crushing those beneath you, making them serve you and give you all the things that you want. This next one's a little happier. This is the uh, Roman pantheon. You can see the, the watermark. I didn't pay uh, for this image, so it may be illegal for me to show it to you. Uh, these are the Roman gods. And interesting, if you notice, um, these, these idols, this is really more of a bas-relief rather than an idol, but um, it, it gives you an example of what little statues would have looked like. Um, in the ancient world and in the Roman world. It's about 2,000 years old, a little, little older. Uh, notice that the gods and the goddesses all have very human things, right? Like, notice um, there's one, the, the, the lady on the, the second from the center on the left there, she's got um, a flute, and she's also got a dagger, right? Indicating that, like, life, you know, you've got to have your weapon ready to stab people, but you also have to enjoy the nice things in life, the good things, and, and art, and, and music, Notice that um, that's probably Jupiter, uh, maybe the Roman version of Apollo, um, but he's got some books there. And, he, and that sort of represents that one of the things that's great about uh, divine and human life is, is knowledge and wisdom, and the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. The staff is probably a representation of health on the far left there, that, that what it is to, to have the good life is to be, is to be um, healthy and, and, and full of life and vitality. And without that, you can't have it. Um, there will be other gods and goddesses who represent things like um, uh, partying and, uh, and sex. And those are the things that, um, that, that's what makes life wonderful. And if you sort of take the whole Roman pantheon, you would probably have your own patron god or goddess, the one that you thought best re- represented what you liked about life. Um, and, and so you would pray to that one specifically, but also recognize that there's a whole lot of other ways of doing life. And, that, and they all kind of have to sort of slam into each other and sort of get along. 
And that's kind of how um, worship of, of the pantheons of God's worked, where you recognize, this is what I think the good life is, and so I pray for this for me. But I also recognize that other people might be interested in other things, and, and they can devote themselves to, to other things. This last one's really cool. Um, this is Caesar Augustus. Notice that he's got that little ball in his hand. Um, in the last slide, uh, that was someone had the ball in the hand. That's like the, the, the governance of the world, the wisdom of the world. This is interesting because um, this statue uh, was basically a statue of a, of a Greek god, Apollo. Um, and then what they did is they put Caesar's head on it. So Caesar became a god. Right? He literally took the place of Apollo, Apollos, the God, and he represents the idea of good, lasting governance, true peace, justice, and freedom. And, and, and you worship him because when you worship him, when you take part in the imperial cult, you're saying this is how the world ought to be. It ought to be organized this way. The way that Caesar does things is the way that it's right. And so I worship and expect life to be this way. The good life is being a Roman citizen under the just, kind rule of Caesar Augustus, who himself is a god like Apollo. All this to say, and this is uh, in your note sheets, that for John, an idol is any false notion about the gods and therefore human life. What we may not recognize about idol worship is it's not about thinking this God's got the most power. Maybe it is. But really what it's saying is you're worshiping a way of doing things. You're, by, by worshiping a particular deity, you're saying, I want the world to be like this. Okay? And we know intuitively how this works. If you think about um, presidents in the United States, uh, you may remember uh, in 2008, when uh, Barack Obama, or 2007 to 2008, when he was sort of uh, trying to become president, he was campaigning, people started to believe in him, right? He was going to come and, and make the United States good and, and do all the right things. And, and as people be began to believe in him, they started to buy into his vision of what the United States should be like, a social democracy in the mold of Europe or something like that. And, and, and as they believed in him and trusted him, they began to accept and, and, and identify, and in some ways maybe even idolize, his way of life. Likewise, uh, for those um, who are deeply invested in Donald Trump, who really trust in him, who believe in him, maybe they're beginning to, to change and to think about how the world ought to be organized. I know people who were principled libertarians, uh, who now are, are excited about um, kind of Trumpism because they believe in the man Trump, that, uh, that really what will make the world a good place is if we focus on America first. And we really try to pay attention to blue-collar people and making sure that they have economic opportunities, right? And so by believing in this man, we begin to believe in, we begin to believe in his way of life, his vision for how the world ought to be. Look back at the text for a second. Little children, keep yourselves away from idols. The Greek there is kind of interesting. It's a weird, um, it's a weird construction. It's basically the word guard, guard yourselves. But then um, the away is very pronounced in the Greek, and it's weird. It's a weird preposition to use, but John uses it. It's almost as if you're, um, you're defending yourself, but you're also... Staying away. It might look like this. You're um, on the streets. It's uh, very late. 
it's 2 a.m., you're walking down the street, and you're scanning, right? And you're scanning, and you see, oh, this person, harmless, don't worry about them, right? But then you see a group of, of people in, you know, sweatshirts, and, and, you know, and you're, because you're a member of Coast Bible Church, you have your concealed carried permit, and so you're, so immediately you put your hand down here like this, right? Because you've identified a potential threat, right? So you're on the lookout, you're guarding, right? But then what you do, because you're not a bloodthirsty, you know, you don't just, ah, let's just shoot people. Instead, what you do is you think, okay, I'm going to cross to the other side of the street, I'm going to keep my eye on them, and I'm going to move quickly. So you're going to stay away from them, but you're on guard, Right? Identify the threat, get away from it. That's exactly what um, John's construction is. Little children, guard yourself, identify the threat, and stay away from these idols. The Christian must actively identify idols and reject them based on the truth of Christ. If you're with me so far, you know that the real question is, what are the American idols? And you know that the American idols are not just, I'm obsessed with cars and stuff and mansions, or I'm just obsessed with sex and, st- and, and lust and things. It's not just, I'm obsessed with pride and that's my idol. It's actually a way of life. It's actually buying into a philosophy or a theology that organizes the world in a way that is fundamentally against God's plan. That's what an idol is now. And we have been called to say, identify those idols, stay on the other side of the street, because when they come after you, you've got to be ready to fight. Here's one. Look at that, it's Nemo. Oh, that little, that little yellow dot is Nemo. And that big shark is going to like, arr. This is for a, uh, it's a fiber one. It's like a nutri- nutritious bar, I don't know. But they say, don't fight your instincts. Right, because, you know, just like a shark, we're just animals, and we have a bunch of different desires and passions and needs. Some of us like to feast too much. Some of us like to have sex too much. Some of us like to, you know, control other people too much. But really, the, the, the point is we're just mammals, right? We're, we're just a step above. We're more complicated, a little bit more insightful than a shark. Uh, but, but really, deep down, our appetites are in control. And because we're animals, fighting against these instincts and these, and these passions is a waste of time. We can't control it. We're just mammals, right? And so stop fighting your instincts. Put them into a, into, into a great, like, in, in a really healthy, uh, you know, constructive manner, right? That's, that's the kind of the, the American way. It's like, yeah, you can't control yourself, but, can, but stop controlling yourself in a way that benefits you, right? Go nuts. And then when you do it right, you know, you, so if you're obsessed with, you know, your body image, go nuts and work out at the gym all the time, turn yourself into a god, right? And people will love and respect you and you'll finally have all the things that you want. I once had a two-pack. It was awesome. I was like leaning on the couch and you, I had to lean a certain way. Because normally it didn't, you didn't see it, but but there was there was an angle where the, the light just came just right. It was like, Boop. I'm like, hey, what's up? <laughs> Feels good to be me. It's never gonna be better than I'm 26. Yeah. This one's a little worse. This is Lois Buchold. Any science fiction fans? She's a science fiction author. I think her books are terrible, but I've read a couple of them. She says, endure pain. Find joy. 
and make your own meaning because the universe certainly isn't going to supply it. So here I am, I'm in the empty universe, it's a bunch of molecules, things bouncing against each other, and somehow life, and intelligent life, you know, forms on this one little rock in a small little corner of this huge Milky Way that's one galaxy amongst billions, and there's nothing that matters, and yet I crave meaning, and I crave, so what do I have to do? I can't look for it out there, that's a waste of time, I need to look inward. And I need to think about the things that I love, that give me passion and, and meaning and joy. And so if I'm an artist, or in Lois's case, a writer, then I throw myself into the projects of writing because they fulfill me just for a time, and then eventually they end and we die. But for now, they distract me long enough that I can have some kind of, for us, a lot of us, hobbies, right? Things that we're into. Like, and we throw ourselves into them because if we stop for just a second and, and, we, and we slow down for just a second, we realize these hobbies, these passions that we have, they're meaningless and they're going to end and there's no point ultimately to them. And yet, we, if we throw ourselves into it, we can forget that. We can distract ourselves until we die. I like video games. That's my distraction. Um, you know, surfing's fun. I mean, for some of us, it, it's sports. It's our work. Our, you know, we have meaningful work. The things that we're doing day in, day out have incredible meaning. Or it's helping people. You know, Gandhi. That was, was it Gandhi? I think Gandhi said that. Or, uh, and, you know, helping people in service to others. And that is what gives us meaning, except that everyone we serve will die, and we will too, and the universe won't remember any of it. But think about the kind of life that this envisions, what America should be, right? Everyone pursuing their passion, sort of getting along as they all do it together. And it's this beautiful, diverse picture. I hope no one's passion is, I don't know, genocide. I hope nobody has a passion for um, robbery. I hope nobody has a passion for rape. Except that people do, don't they? Another American Idol. This is cool. Someone got a tattoo. I don't have any tattoos. I'm uh, one of seven, seven existing millennials without a tattoo. Um, thinking about getting a sleeve just to get some credibility. Like, to thine own self be true, a little anchor. I'm assuming this me- I don't. there's no way this person's in the Navy. Like, that's not the script. I, my grandfather, no. That's like, that's like, ooh, I like flowers. Um, and, and an anchor. This apparently, this, this, this anchors this person to, um, you know, to life. This is the anchor that, that sets them. So whenever they forget what they're about, they just, oh, be true to myself. Got it. Okay, I'll get back in there. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyone know where this, is, this quote is from? Shakespeare, yes. This is Shakespeare. Hamlet, uh, scene one. Or no, Act One, Scene Three. Um, in in the in the in Shakespeare, it's funny. The the guy who says this, his name is Polonius. He's an, he's an old man. And he's giving advice to his son, who's about to go off and uh, make his make his fortune. And so he tells him everything to do. Right? He's like, look, number one, don't hang out with people like this. Number two, this is how you spend your money. The, uh, make sure that you plan in this way. Don't, uh, there are people that are going to be like this. Stay away from them. There are people like this. Make friends with them. He tells him everything he should do about life. And then he says, oh, and by the way, above all else, be yourself. 
This was supposed to be a punchline. The character is a, he's a fool. And um, what's foolish about him is that he understands, like everyone does, that nobody knows who they are. And if you do follow yourself, you're going to be destroyed. Like, imagine what would happen if you actually were true to yourself. You would, you'd spend all your money. You'd, it's prodigal son, right? You would go out and make terrible decisions. You'd get destroyed, especially when you're young, right? And so, and so what the, the father is saying, he's, he, he gives all this advice, like, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Oh, by the way, follow your dream, be, be yourself. And if you were in Shakespeare's audience, you should have laughed at that. It was, it, was a, it was a punchline to a joke. And now this person has it as their, as their um, sort of their life, their life verse, as it were. So, way to go, America. Really teaching the classics to the kids these days. That's awesome. If you have that tattoo, I really apologize. I know I'll, ne- I know I'll never see you again. Um, I, just, I just burned a bridge. I, I'm sorry. Uh, last one. This is Freud. One of our American gods. What decides the purpose of life is simply the program of the pleasure principle. If you want to know what makes life happen, it is simply that every human being is a biological machine designed to seek pleasure and avoid pain. This principle dominates the operation of the mental apparatus from the start. There can be no doubt about how how efficacious, how effective it is, and yet its program is at loggerheads with the whole world, with the macrocosm as much as with the microcosm. What that means is that you are designed by nothing, to seek pleasure and avoid pain. And unfortunately for you, the entire universe is designed to make you miserable. And that is the meaning of life. Yeah. Cool. When you're seeing these memes out there that say things like, you know, be yourself. Be true to yourself. You know, follow your instincts. Go after your dreams. Um, these are all. These are the American idols. These are the stories that are out there. When you give up, when you have no real story, no no defining story, when you don't have something that grounds you, that's outside of you, when you're trying to live in this neutral space that's freed from religion, free from po- politics and ideology, it's just neutral. This is where you end up. You end up in a place that is utterly empty and it is simply you trying to make yourself entertained for just long enough to forget until you die. John gets it. And so he says, little children, guard yourself. Run away from these idols. Because these are false gods that are going to put you on a false path and you are going to be empty. You are going to be hopeless. You are going to end in blood, fire, and disaster. Please, little children, remember the one thing that matters. That Jesus is the Messiah. The true God. The one who possesses eternal life. Remember this. We are in the truth, in his son, Jesus Christ. He, Jesus Messiah, he is true God and life eternal. If you stay there, well, there's, at least there's hope. At least there's meaning. And, and, and really what, 
what he's, what he's ultimately saying is he's saying all those other ways of doing life, what they lead to is they lead to not the good life. They lead to a false notion of how we ought to be and live. This American dream that we're all just going to get along and follow our passions, is a, it's, it's going to blow up in our faces and we can see in our culture it already is. If we just live that way, it's all going to be great. Wrong. That is a lie. Really, the only way to live, friends, to be in keeping with how the universe is, to enjoy the good life, the full life, the proper human life, it's to be in submission to Jesus the Messiah. Be in the truth, settled in it, living in it. And what is that? Guess what? It is life eternal. It is literally the life of God manifested through you as you live your day in, day out. Simply being subjugated to Christ is you living the good life. Obeying him is you living the life that God has always meant for you to live and you will live in eternity. The last thing um, on your note sheets, the good life is eternal life in Christ. And guess what? It takes place in church. Again, remember when I say church, I'm not saying Coast Bible Church. Well, I am, because we're the best. Um, obviously. But remember, he defined the church as any place where people profess Jesus as Messiah, true God, source of eternal life. That is where this life takes place. And if you're abstracted from it, if you're just adding it on to the rest of your life, if, if really the good life is over here with the white picket fence and these values and all that, and you, you bring some God in too because that seems wise, like if that's where it's happening, it's not. That itself is an American idol. It's a, it's a way, it's a truth that's, that's skewed, it's off. John says the eternal life starts in this place with these people. This is where it happens. This is where worship happens, where fellowship happens, where people live in a a self-giving, self-sacrificial love. That's what happens here. And this place can exist in any country, in any culture, in any group of people, wherever there are people who follow Christ, who, who live his life, it can survive. It doesn't, it's not like communism or capitalism or authoritarianism or any ism that's out there. It can actually exist. It can really be. And if we look at the history of the church, we know that that is where the community of self-giving love really has actually been. It is the place where people really have given of themselves. There's nowhere else where that happens. Get away from those idols and get your butt into the church. There is no other place where eternal life is being lived. And yeah, sometimes it's not even being lived here. John's just spent a lot of time, five chapters, saying, hey, if that's what's going on here, we need to clean that out. Self-giving love, dependence on Christ, all those things. He's been saying that over and over. But if we're not doing that, we're not doing anything. We're spinning our wheels and we're waiting to die. Brothers and sisters, I ask all of us to start looking and see if we can start to identify those idols, those false stories, those fake narratives, those those wrong, evil, corrupt ways of doing life. Identify them and walk away into the life of worship and self-giving love. Let's pray.
Gracious God and Father, we confess um, that we are surrounded, surrounded in this culture by stories, ways of living that are idols, they're dead ends, they're hopeless. God, we confess that true eternal life is in the Son, your Son, Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. That real, true, eternal life is the life that he lived, the life that we can imitate, and it happens here in your church. God, purify your church by the power of your Spirit and the grace of your Son. Make us people who are committed fully, 100% to his way. Give us eyes to see, to identify the world's ways, and the wisdom and the courage and the power to reject them. God, protect your church and give us strength to grow and to thrive living the life that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.